Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2480. Today, instead of driving, we're going flying. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive, I should say aeronautical enthusiast today, because today we're going to take to the air. I'm in San Diego, California, my hometown with a very special guest, my name of Rich Kenny. Rich, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I guess on an aircraft, what would you release when you're ready to take off? Would it be the brakes? Well, there's several things you have to go through before you even think about taking off. There's a whole checklist of things that you have to go through to be sure everything's functioning properly. And uh, if, when you get that, go through your checklist, you think you got it all, you're taxiing down to the end of the runway, and then you do a power up. And you go. you've got your brakes on, and you're not going anywhere, but you power it up to make sure your magnetos are working, all your backup systems are working, all your fluids are fine. And everything reads out perfectly. Then you can then you can take up take off, and uh, it's it's a thrill. But uh, again, uh, you know it's <laughs> it's your life on the line with that airplane. So you want to make sure everything's running. If something gets a little funny, you can't just uh, pull off the side of the road or hit pause and look look at the manual. You, you've <laughs> got to you have to understand exactly what's going on. And what what's interesting, where the to me where there's an interesting crossover is a lot of the folks I get rides with. I don't own an airplane, but I have friends that do, and they pay for it. I get a free ride, so <laughs> that's, that's the, a pretty good deal. Best kind of airplane to have. <laughs> yeah, that's best kind of have. And uh, but they a lot of them have actually restored these aircraft and taken them all the way apart to the bottom, you know, the last pieces and parts, and reassembled them cleaned them all up and did all of that. So they are very intimately, much more intimately aware of their aircraft and everything about it than most people are. Uh, airplanes you just buy and fly. The passion for restoration that they have is like the ones that the, the folks in the Concorde have. That to me is where, the, where there's a symbiotic relationship in a way, the restoration passion that these folks have. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about that. Let me give you an introduction first, though. But one thing I do here as a little bit of an icebreaker is ask this question. What's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you, Rich? Well, I'm, I'm from different worlds, if you will. The Concord world is one world and the San Diego world. What I've done here is different in some ways than, than my life path since high school. I was a, I was a gymnast at uh, Willowbrook High School in Illinois, suburb of Chicago, and we won the state championship, which was a pretty big deal because there were over 230-some high schools that were competing, and we beat them all, and uh, undefeated season, and developed a sense of teamwork there because that's what it took. And interestingly enough, my two coaches were not gymnasts, but they were football coaches, but they were also Marines. Ah. And somehow in the magic of what they did, they, they turned us uh, young wild kids into, uh, into disciplined athletes. And uh, that high school has never won another state championship since then, which I've been reminded of recently. 
and it developed a sense of teamwork. And from there, I got an, a full ride scholarship to the University of Michigan to be on their gymnastics team. Well, there you go. We did extremely well there, and I got to be team captain uh, my senior year, amongst other things that I did at uh, other awards, if you will, at, at college. So the gymnastics path, I wouldn't say controlled my life, but it was a path that was in front of me that just kept getting better and better. So I've stayed in that gymnastics world for, uh, I look back, I think it's something like 40 years I've been involved in various aspects of gymnastics, one of which, um, again, where there's a crossover is uh, events, events and sponsorships. So back in the 80s and the, some of the 90s, if you saw gymnastics on television, you saw McDonald's banners or Dodge or uh, Nissan or what have you, those are corporate sponsorship deals I put together and married up with television broadcasts. So that gymnastics world went beyond being a performer. If my background was, was uh, basically industrial design, product design, and marketing. And I understood that world, whereas everybody else that was in the sport were, were coaches and athletes. They did not have any perception of what it takes to, to uh, get a sponsorship or put something on television and market an event or a sport. So that's, that's, a, that's the world that the, probably the Concord de Elegance folks in the automotive, automotive world doesn't know about. Oh, absolutely. Very important in that world. Well, let me introduce you here. Rich Kinney is the co-founder of AeroED Group whose motto is flight, inspiration for learning. He has been this flyby chair for the La Jolla Concorde Elegance since 2013 when he got a ride over the event in a Stearman biplane previously owned by Steve McQueen, another car guy. Rich has enjoyed being a member of the organization committee ever since. He was selected to the board of directors and is now the VP of the World Acrobatic Society and in 2023 received their prestigious Golden Achievement Award. Rich's career has been in a variety of endeavors of corporate sponsorships, market research, Research, consulting, sports marketing, to name just a few. He has sat on numerous boards and received the outstanding contribution to aerospace education of aeronautics and astronautics. So we'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Buckle up, we're about to go for a flight. Are you ready to take charge of your financial future? Then let me introduce you to Capitalize Your Finances. It's an online course designed to empower you with the knowledge and tools for mastering your money. This course will help you lay out the ins and outs of budgeting, the importance of emergency funds, investing strategies, and how to plan for a secure retirement. All this presented by financial planner Chris Paniotu. Chris has developed this course to help you effectively navigate your world of finance, with confidence. Stop stressing about money and start taking control. Enroll in Capitalize Your Finance online course today and pave your way to financial success. To learn more, go to capitalizepodcast.com slash courses, or better yet, go to the Cars yeah! website show notes page for today's show and click on the link under Capitalize Your Finances. You'll be glad you did. Do it today. Hey, guess what? Some of you regular listeners will remember back in 2019, I created uh, 10, 11 shows called Cars Yeah! TV, where I went to some fabulous locations of past Cars Yeah! guests, and we did a TV show about it. Well, they're up on the Cars Yeah! YouTube channel. So go check it out at YouTube. Just type in Cars Yeah! and the shows will be there for you to enjoy. I hope you have fun watching. 
So, Rich, we are back. So I want to talk about, of course, the La Jolla Concours because the La Jolla Concours have been going to since the beginning, and one of the very unique things they do, they do many unique things with that three-day event, is a wonderful flyby of some vintage aircraft. And it's so cool because that setting is perfect. You've got the ocean out there. The planes can fly fairly close in safety to all the cars so you can see them right there up close and personal. I mean, you can see the pilots in the planes, which is really cool. So this fascination for aerospace, for old planes, for flying, I would assume this is something that took place that infected you maybe early on in your career? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, I built model kits and my dad took me to air shows and uh, I always remember the Blue Angels and air, airplanes, my dad would talk about them. And I, I grew up as a kid watching air power on TV and, and victory at sea. And I wanted to be a Navy pilot and excited about all of that. So aviation was kind of, uh, in the, in the background inspiring when I was a kid. So that was, that was fun. And, uh, the automotive part of it, interestingly enough, is, is my dad, uh, his cousin owned a car dealership. And we seem to be getting, I'm just looking at the list of cars. It seems like we get a different car every other year <laughs> and uh, unique cars too. So uh, it was uh, interesting. So I had you know, that constant flow of cars and I wanted to be a car designer and I built uh, clay model cars, built model car kits and oh, wow. so on and airplane kits and different things like that. And I think, uh, and part of it is my dad, he's owned a uh, a model shop where there were prototypes that were made. That's kind of how I got into product design. Oh, wow. I, I worked for a design company that designed television, consumer electronics uh, products, TVs and radios and stereos and, and coffee pots and a variety of different things. Oh, cool. And I got into that because my dad's model shop would make the prototypes. So interesting ideas come up and it's a sketch on the napkin and it may be a year or more before it actually gets in the marketplace but along the way they all sorts of sketches and drawings and engineering and work it all out but then they'll make a prototype that looks like the actual production piece uh, before it's produced those end up being the, the they photograph for the advertising because you don't want to wait for the manufactured product to be done before you photograph it and advertise it. You advertise it, do all that work up ahead, and you're using the prototypes for that. So that was a very precise work. I got to be a bit of a craftsman with that. That's, yeah, that's where I got into making model cars and clay model cars. And there was a General Motors contest that I uh, was very interested in getting, you know, you know, submitting something for, but I was too shy to send my designs in after seeing the ones that want, the ones that won. But anyway, it was it was a fascinating adventure to, to design cars after seeing so many. Oh, yeah. You know, my father, when he was uh, young, he ended up being an architect, but he entered that program back in the 40s and actually oh, wow. got an award. I, I have I have that car sitting here right in front of me right now. They carved a, huh. designed and carved a car out of balsa wood and submitted uh -huh. it. And then they, they uh, took prizes and brought some of the winners uh, out to, I think it was Detroit at the time. Uh, yep, some of yep. the young students. So um, I always say that's my prized possession uh, as a memory of my dad uh, is that balsa wood car, which is uh, so cool. So I love it. Well, I want to talk more about how you got involved with the La Jolla Concorde because this tie-in okay. with aircraft, airplanes, and I love the way at the beginning you tied the idea of restoring an aircraft, an old aircraft, to fly it, much like automobiles are restored so they could be driven and used. How did you first get that ride in that Stearman, which is a pretty cool history piece, and then 
then got involved with the Concorde. Well, remembering it now as the fact that I was the marketing director for Wings Over Gillespie Air Show that was at, uh, at Gillespie Field. The gentleman that was the, uh, our wing leader for Air Group One at the time, uh, Bob Simon, had a, a, uh, a biplane that he restored. Interestingly enough, he flew jumbo jets across the world. He would fly them to London. He'd fly them to Tokyo. I mean, he was, he was quite the experienced uh, pilot, the Navy pilot. He got asked to, to, uh, to do a flyover of, uh, of the, of the Concorde. And uh, he, he couldn't, his plane wasn't ready at the time, so he called on his good friend, uh, Bill Allen, who has a private museum out there at Gillespie Field, if, uh, if he would take his place. And Bob said, geez, Richard, you're in the marketing world. This is, you know, this, this con- I can't really be part of this committee. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Why don't, this is more your bailiwick. Why don't you get involved? And I said, sure. And I got this ride, and I kind of got hooked on it. So uh, I said, and they asked me, you know, can we get more airplanes? And I go, well, I'll take a shot at it. Having put together, you know, part of the, you know, a couple of air shows, you get to make, you make, get to make some contacts and friends and so on. So they asked me to you know, do something more for the, the following year. And so I think we got half a dozen or more aircraft. But the other part of it is they asked me, is there anything else we can do aviation wise? One of the things I did is in, in my aero ed program, my aerospace education program, I built a friendship with a gentleman that made drones. Oh. Nobody had really seen them. He made them from scratch. And uh, he was an architect and an engineer and, uh, on the side. And he made these to do fly over uh, you know, building sites and so on and provide some sort of uh, you know, photographic record oh, and yeah, so on. Yeah. So, so in, in, I think it was 2014, I, I inspired him to get involved and do a flyover with the drone of the Concorde. You may have remembered it. No, nobody had ever seen drones before. <laughs> yes. So we, we did, we did, uh, you know, came up with a video version of the Concorde de Elegance and the tour and everything else with, with, with drone shots and, uh, lots of people looking up at it. So you saw a lot of yeah, what is looking at what, what is that strange thing? So that was, uh, you know, kind of an introduction to drones at the time to, to that, to that audience. And ever since every video you see now uses, uses drones as, as part of promotion. And they wanted something and they put a display on the grounds. And I knew a gentleman that restored, if you can picture this, the front cockpit section of a of a Stratoliner, one of the biggest uh, aircraft, you know, commercial aircraft at the time back in the 50s. So it was just a cockpit. And he, he restored the cockpit and put it on a trailer and we brought it to the Concorde. And it was set up for the kids to, uh, yeah. to get in and have a, have a good time with. So that was that was unique. Very cool. I knew a gentleman that was an author and a historian. And part of the thing that uh, I knew, the history that I knew of aviation, was that in World War II, at the Concorde, you didn't have any cars on display between 42 and 45 because they basically shut down making automobiles right. and they turned it all into uh, war production. And that conversion is part of what won the war was the, the you know the automotive companies that were so good at manufacturing mass manufacturing were able to basically i think like two-thirds of the of the airplanes and trucks and tanks and everything else and engines and all of that came from the automobile industry not just for our armies but 
you know, I think we sent a million trucks to Russia and you know, Europe and all over the world was because of our incredible automobile industry and their know-how. And uh, that, to me, was worth celebrating and made people realize that uh, that's how significant the automobile industry was to the world at the time. Oh, it's quite amazing. A guest I've had on the show several times, A.J. Bame, wrote a great book called The Arsenal of Democracy. Yes, that's a book I have. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, uh, yep. His yep. other book, uh, Go Like Hell, which is the book about the Ferrari Ford Wars at Le Mans, um, that book is the most recognized or recommended book here on Cars Yeah, but the arsenal of democracy is absolutely fascinating. And uh, what a history of how our industry turned everything around and, and helped uh, win the war. When we look at the up at the airplanes in the sky um, that fly over this, there's more than just one or two. There's quite a group of them. Do you know by any chance what type of aircraft are going to be flying this year at the Concorde? Well, we have usually a stable of uh, of Stearmans. Uh, that was a trainer plane that was back in the in the uh, late 30s and 40s. That's the biplane, like the the one that Steve McQueen owned, and uh, those are a, a real popular one for restoration and for flying. Uh, very rugged aircraft, uh, very reliable, very fixable, <laughs> and uh, it was made as it was a, it was a trainer essentially. So it was it was made for for uh, clumsy students to to bang around in and land roughly and so on so it was a, a, an excellent aircraft uh, for that but there's only like i think it's in the range of 900 of them left in the world so oh, wow. they're 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 rare as well uh so there's several of those the other airplane that's comparable in the bipander in a in a way are uh, the Bukers. Bukers are the training equivalent of the Stearman, but for Europe, it was, uh, it's essentially made for, for the German training of the Luftwaffe at one point, but also the other countries uh, in Europe bought them uh, as trainers and also licensed them to build them. Uh, the Swiss, and the, uh, I think the Spanish and, and the French and so on. So that was a, a training aircraft of the 30s. So there's a group of those that are restored out here at Gillespie Field, and they fly uh, fly as well as a group. So those are the two probably biplanes that are unique. The other ones are uh, there's a, a group of T-34s that was a trainer plane for the Navy and the Air Force and so on. There's a formation team that flies those, and as well as uh, it's called a Yak. Oh, okay. uh, it was made it, another one of those planes that was made and manufactured in, in Europe. Uh, the Czechs had them, the Russians had them, you know, all Eastern Bloc countries used them as trainers. Again, trainers are very rugged, very simple in many ways to fly. And so they became produced in great numbers because they were needed to train a lot of people. And a few of them got cracked up training. So those airplanes are out there. And I had the privilege of riding one of those. That's one of the pictures I sent you. Yes. I was in the, in the plane plane. Now, videotaping flying over the Concorde, which is quite the thrill to do that. So those are the basic ones. The others are, are like collecting cars, if you will. But there are some unique aircraft that do fly. We have some of the regular ones that fly over. The uh, San Diego Salute Formation Team has uh, become our SETI. Uh, and they fly a variety of different events, uh, mostly to commemorate different different aviation events they fly over the midway for big events and they fly over ours and and the uh mount soledad events uh memorial day and veterans day events so uh, they become friends of ours as it was explained to me 
they really enjoy being part of the Concorde because we get them into the event after they fly on Sunday. They uh, they come on their flight suits yeah, to, yeah. To, to join join up, and uh, they really like it because they get to bring their wives. Yeah, and that's the only trade off for them on this very expensive aviation hobby they have. They they get to bring their wives to these these fabulous parties. So. <laughs> No, they're they're great fun. The history of aviation in San Diego goes so far back. And I'll remind you listeners that are going to be heading to La Jolla at San Diego for the Concorde. It's a wonderful aerospace museum in Balboa oh. Park. There's an automotive museum right next to it. You've got to attend that because it's been there forever. I used to go there just as a kid when they first opened that. Some wonderful things to see there. But uh, mostly at La Jolla Concorde, uh, around midday, when it's lunchtime, look up to the sky. You'll see these airplanes flying over, having fun. Um, and what a setting, and the weather is always spectacular, so we really look forward to that. You know, being part of this um, group, what are some of the challenges that you face with setting something like this up? Because bureaucracy, as Michael Dervier has said, is a challenge when you're setting up any kind of Concor event. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I would imagine the bureaucracy or the rules and regulations when you add flight and old airplanes flying over people probably creates a few challenges. Part of the, the secret to me, and, and the person that deserves a lot of credit, is, is, is Phil Kendrow, former Marine pilot. Now he's a pilot for United Airlines. But he is the air boss, and he's the person that can speak to these pilots in great uh, great detail, understands all the flight, uh, all the flight uh, characteristics that are necessary. He deals with the FAA all the time. He has to. And can talk to the control towers, speak their language. So, uh, I help facilitate it to a point, get them excited, involved, you know, help make that liaison work. But Phil is really the one that uh, does the detail work directly with the pilots. And you really need a person like that that's that experienced. And he's, he's done massive flyovers and air shows and so on as an air boss. So that's a person that has that, that, that three-dimensional sense of what's going on in the air. And timing is critical knowing how to make a spread between certain aircraft. Some are faster than others. Some leave awake, some don't. And altitudes and all of that, there's a whole three-dimensional mix, if you will. And that's one of the fascinations about aviation. You think of a, of a highway map, you see everything in two dimensions. But in aviation, there's three dimensions and at different altitudes, all, all different. Uh, which, which directions you go in and what the, and, and you know, the commercial airliners say they, they, in fact, they track the weather at different altitudes and report that back. And that has a, an effect on, on how well, uh, your my weather forecasting is because it really is a different weather pattern at different altitudes that you just don't, you don't experience that on the ground. So there's a lot of intricacies to, uh, to aviation that fascinate me because you think, well, you just, or just step fly on the gas and yeah. yeah, just fly by. <laughs> no just big pull deal. Wheel and stick or whatever, and you just fly, just like a car. No, there's a whole lot more to it, and, and it takes some very special people to do it. And virtually all the pilots, whether military pilots or commercial airline pilots, so they all are all into the multiple thousands of hours of flight time. So these folks are not amateurs that are flying over. They've all been professional pilots at one point or another in their careers. So uh, it's very safe in that regard. And we fly over water, which uh, gives us that, out, that, that altitude advantage that we can be a bit lower. We don't fly over, over the population whatsoever, and uh, that keeps it safe. So it, it, uh, it's, it's all very well controlled and very safe, and it is unique. As far as I know, there's no other 
uh, Concorde anywhere in the world that does what we do with this number of aircraft. There may be an occasional aircraft flies over somebody, but nobody does it like we do. So that's a unique unique feature for for us yours is for sure you know the quail that happens during pebble beach car week they did have a flyover this past summer but and it was with jets and um i think there were five of them just five of them Mm -hmm. but they did some uh beautiful they had smoke trails and they created some beautiful displays and things and that's the i believe it's the first time i've seen that happen there i think they might have had uh older like a p51 mustang or spitfire Mm -hmm. flyover just one or two but um yeah this is very unique and the entire part of it it just adds to the one wonderful ambiance of the entire event. You know, before I let you go today, I want to talk a little bit about you and cars because you and I had a nice little chat before we began our talk today about your uh, history of cars. You mentioned that you had a family where you seem to be getting new cars all the time. Is there one special car that stands out in your mind that you've had in your family or had yourself or been involved with? Well, a couple. I'm looking down the list I have here. car that really, I mean, other than that Studebaker that really, you know, was it's just a bullet nose Studebaker. I mean, it was like almost like an airplane, like a spaceship to me when I was a kid, uh, very young. And uh, but the car I remember a lot was the '57 Chrysler Imperial, Ooh. and it was a monster. It barely fit in the garage, and I could remember my job was to wash the car. <laughs> and I, I I wasn't even tall enough to reach the, the top of the uh, the tail fins. Wow! So <laughs> this this car was like an aircraft carrier. It was huge, yeah. and uh, you know it was like a, a living room inside of it. It was so big and so plush, and uh, and it was a forest green. It was just a, it, to me it was one of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen as a kid. That was uh, the size of it. Everything about it was was just so unique, and it was very special. We you know we go to dinner at fancy places and it and so on. So it was uh, it was top of the world as far as fancy cars go. But I trained, I trained, I shouldn't say trained. I learned how to drive the car I drove in high school. Uh, first one was the, was the first uh, generation Corvair. And, and that was that was unique. And again, that's kind of my dad's thing. He, he wanted to get the, the newest and the most unique cars. He thought they were trendsetters. So he got the first generation Corvair. And I remember him asking me, he said, son, son, why are the tires only worn on the edges, not the middle? Why, okay, <laughs> where do you go with this thing? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really, it was my, my sports car at the time. And uh, then he got the second generation uh, Corvair Monza Coupe, which was, was pretty nice. Oh, and then, yeah. Then, then he got a, 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 I think a 66 uh, Chevelle Super Sport. He got that. And I thought, you know, when I'm in high school, that 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 was cool. Then we then he got a '69 Camaro Super Sport, oh my gosh. and uh, so when I come home from college, I had a sports car to, to catch up with my friends with, and uh, that was that was fun. Oh, lucky and, you! And then later on, you know, I come home from college. My dad was he had he had Mazdas, the, the Wankel engine Mazdas. Oh so, yeah, the yeah. He thought, well, that's it. That's going to check out. Wankels are going to take over the world. Well, and, not uh, quite, but <laughs> not quite. And what frustrated him is he had to make an appointment with, like, with a specialist to fix it when there was a problem with it. You couldn't just pull into a station and have anybody know what the heck's going on with that engine. 
So the rarity of it made it made it difficult. But that was the adventure my dad had with cars. What a lucky life you had to have so many unique cars around you. I mean, that that's really, really cool. Um, no doubt that formed a lot of your fascination. You know, we spoke about books, and I always like to ask my guests if they could recommend a great book for our listeners. Of course, we talked about A.J. Beam's Arsenal of Democracy and Go Like Hell. Is there a, a book you might recommend to our listeners today? Well, I mean, they made a movie of it, but the right stuff is, is considerably more detailed. And it really gives you an appreciation of what, what military pilots are about. And with my partner, who, who, who was, uh, as I mentioned, was a Marine Corps pilot uh, with, with three distinguished flying crosses for valor in flight. I mean, he, he was just a tremendous pilot. He had 63 air medals, which is probably a record for missions and a variety of different things. He worked his way up to uh, to become a full colonel. And uh, his last flying assignment was Marine One for two presidents. So, and, and just you know, very humble man. You had to kind of pull it out of him what, what, what his experiences were. Well, we have a group. Uh, we have what's called a beer call. And uh, these are veteran pilots. And we get together and we have lunch and they share some stories. And uh, about, about airplanes and air bases and places they've been. And when you hear a couple of these guys that flew jumbo jets, and they're saying, oh, that airport 27, that, that runway 27 in Istanbul is a real bear. And, you know, <laughs> and when they're talking about common places that they've been in the service or where they fly to, and, and it's worldwide, it's just, just amazing. And these guys are just laughing it up, and they're humble about it. And it's just fascinating uh, to me that, that, gee, I'm in the presence of these people that are just incredible. Right. Yeah, the training they go through and oh yeah is amazing. And, and, yeah, and San Diego is not one of the easiest airports to fly into either, is it? I mean, it feels like no, you're flying right all. through the downtown buildings to get well, in there. Well, it's it's, uh, it's unique. I know way way back when I lived in San Diego, they talked about moving it somewhere. They were afraid that it was gonna you know outgrow itself, and it probably has in many ways. But they've somehow made it work. Now I don't know where they could go to. Like, where would they build another right. airport? You know. So well, on on the horizon is, uh, and this is another thing. That we're looking at down the road is what generically is called flying cars. There's billions of dollars being invested by many, many companies into what will be flying cars. The uh, replacement, if you will, in a way for, for helicopters that will be a lot quieter, not more, uh, uh, you know, have more opportunities to go various places and uh, for, for a very variety of functions. So you'll be seeing. You'll be seeing flying cars around. This basically, you think of scaling up these small drones into people-sized ones that carry passengers, or you know, are, are, can be used for emergency services and a variety of different things. But that is in the future. It's uh, it's out there. Well, I have a job, uh, a new uh, concept for a new product. Then, based on that, and that would be steel umbrellas. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to get to work on yes. that. <laughs> we yeah, we might need those. The way people drive, yeah. I'm not sure I want them flying over my head all day long, but uh, that's another <laughs> another topic. Hey, I like to I like to enable my guests to go on what I call the ultimate drive. Today, I'm going to mix it up just for you, Rich. It's the ultimate flight. So I'm going to magically make you a pilot, okay? I'm okay. going to put you in any airplane that you would like to fly, and you can fly it anywhere that you would like to go. So if I can make that happen for you today... What airplane would you be in, and where would you like to fly? And if you could take somebody with you, who would it be? Well, I'll tell you, that's interesting. It just triggered a memory. I had a picture over my desk for years and years, and it was called a lake. It was a picture. The airplane was a lake, lake Buccaneer, 
So it, it was an amphibious airplane, and you know the prop was blowing out the back, if you will, to make it visible, to make you understand it. And it would land on lakes, and it had landing gears. And I, I had recently read a history of the, of the Lindberghs, and one of the trips that Charles Lindbergh made with his wife was uh, they had an assignment to identify a flight path uh, from Los Angeles to Europe, but going over Canada and going up, you know, closer to the Arctic Circle and so on. So he had this gigantic, <laughs> I think it was custom. I don't know the, the, the designation of that particular one. I can't remember that, but it was a seaplane uh-huh. and it was amphibious. And he, they landed on lakes going across Canada and across the country. And they made, had relationships with Eskimos and tribes and all manner of things in basically unexplored territory for airplanes. Oh, wow. And I thought, now that's an adventure, you know. And his wife could fly too, so they shared the, you know, the, the you know, the adventure together. And, uh, it, it, that to me, that's an adventure. And I thought, well, how, if I can't fly that, I'll get a lake buccaneer and just fly up and land on these lakes out in the middle of Canada somewhere and, and, and you know, maybe go fishing or hunting or whatever. But just to be completely, free of civilization they had that sense of uh, exploring and adventure that to me that to me would be at least it was until you mentioned that i don't know what i'd dream about if i had to come up with it right now but that one was in my mind and uh, my dreams for for a long long time well that's pretty cool answer to that question well you've taken us on a wonderful flight today normally i say ride but you've taken us on a wonderful flight today sharing your passion for aircrafts and how you are involved in this wonderful flyover for the la jolla concord before i let you go today rich could you leave us with some parting words of inspiration or wisdom one of the things i, I might mention that why i enjoy being uh, on the organizing committee for the concord is a sense of teamwork. I was imbued with teamwork and didn't fully appreciate it when we won our state championships in Illinois, and then the teamwork being a captain of my team at Michigan. And then, this is another piece of history, I was a magazine a managing editor for International Gymnast Magazine and became a photographer for that, and I ended up being an official photographer for a world, for a world gymnastics championship. The teamwork it required to make a magazine and get it out on time was something that, that I prized is developing the team to be able to do that. You can't do it all yourself. And there was a, uh, a boycott of the Olympics in 1980. Some of you may remember that virtually destroyed uh, a lot of the momentum for the Olympic movement in the United States. The gymnastics, we were ready to be on the world stage in the Olympic with Kurt Thomas was our star. But when the Olympics uh, went away, they changed administrations and the money dried up, the sponsorships dried up, all sorts of problems. And because they knew me from my part of the teamwork that made that world championship happen in Fort Worth, that was a major, major event, uh, televised event and so on. They asked me to be part of the federation trying to put together a new group. And I thought, well, why don't we have a magazine? And I had that magazine experience, so I created a new magazine, official magazine for the sport in the country. And uh, that required building a new team of people and couldn't do it without without teamwork. Can't do it all yourself. And teamwork, creating those relationships and that reliance on each other and the confidence each other has to have was very important. And we had to start all over again and move just a year before the Olympic. And it was just the new executive director and me, I guess a little perspective is a lot of organizations that are well-meaning and wonderful, uh, they're a bit 
I would call you delusional utopians. And <laughs> and budgets are things you spend. They don't care where it comes from. It just better be there when I need it. And when you have organizations and board of directors that are made up all of, 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 of these educators and coaches that just know how to spend money, don't know how to make it, they decided, well, we better keep rich because he's the one that brings in the sponsors and makes us an ability to pay the bills and so on. So I got in on the ground floor selling another whole team uh, of people and uh, sponsorships and so on. And that led to us uh, doing so successfully in the L.A. Olympics in 84. So and then I got to you know kind of ride the, the joy of that uh, that for, for the next dozen years and uh, doing magazines and doing major events and major corporate sponsorships and television events and world championships and I got to travel the world and so teamwork teamwork made all that possible so I, I have to give credit to all the people I work with for my ability to accomplish what I what I've done that's how I got rewarded you know the skull and achievement award and so on because. A lot of people realize, wow, he was involved in all these different things over all these years. So, I mean, I, I can't thank enough uh, other people that uh, were my mentors and examples and, and teammates. Concord folks are, are the same. That's, just, that's why I'm so comfortable with it and I enjoy it so much is that teamwork is there. They, they all work together. They're all friends. They all have, you know, an objective to make this the best event ever. And that really, really makes it a joy for me because I, you know, not that many more teams I can be a part of, but this is one that I really cherish. Ah, wonderfully said. I'll remind everybody the La Jolla Concours is April 19th, 20th, and 21st, of course, culminating on Sunday the 21st, where you'll see the flyover and all the beautiful cars and all the wonderful people. And of course, uh, last week we had uh, the key. One of the key players, uh, along with Rich today, as guests on the show, so you can go back and listen to Michael Dorvier and the others who were part of the team of the La Jolla Concord. It takes a lot of people. And I want to do a shout-out thank you to Haley Stewart at McFarland Promotions. She's the one that got Rich together with me today. So, Haley, thank you very much. Rich, thank you for taking a, a, a pit stop here, or a, a hangar stop, I guess we could call it, and talking with me about your life and about the La Jolla Concord. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at the La Jolla Concord. Thank you very much. This was enjoyable. You, you opened my mind to things I hadn't thought about for a long time. So I really, <laughs> really appreciate it. Really appreciate oh, it. you're very welcome. It was a delight. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Here at Cars Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. TechForce helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive, with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education 
and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Auto techs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!